Well, good morning. It is good to see everyone. If you're visiting, I'm Pastor Eric, a.k.a. Uncle Eric. Uh, I love it, by the way. I'm the children's pastor, so uncle is, seems appropriate. I have to say, uh, this is, this is uh, a special Sunday. The women's retreat is happening. Um, there are not nearly as many beautiful faces out there, but guys, you tried. Um, I am a little sad that I can't be over there. I always look forward to the, the Sundays during uh, women's retreat and being over there as, as the, the kids are coming over because I loved looking at what the kids are going to wear. Because let me tell you, every other one's mismatched, and it's, and it's great. And uh, the hair, you know, they're wishing they had hair like me. Um, <laughs> It's, it's always fun, but my favorite thing at the end is uh, hearing the conversations, hearing what most of the dads are telling their kids, and when, when parents and the kids want to hang out and play and run around, the dads are saying, we got to go home, we got to go home, we got to clean the house before mom gets home. <laughs> it's hilarious. So if you try talking to me after the service, I will not be around um, doing that. Well, I want to welcome you in. We are uh, continuing through our sermon series going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, and uh, I'm excited to dig in. If you have your Bibles, you can open to chapter 10. Chapter 10. And as you're opening there, I have a question for you. Have you ever experienced something good that was undone by the simplest action, by the, by the smallest mistake? Perhaps you can recall a time when you were a child and anyone here ever do dominoes? Not that, that where you stack them and then you knock them down, and, but then you know, as you're stacking them up, you accidentally knock one and then they all fall. And how frustrating is that as a child? Or maybe perhaps once you attempted building a house of cards, right, out of a deck of cards only to breathe and then it would just collapse. How frustrating that is to see something undone. But as we grow up, things get a little more challenging. Perhaps we work hard on projects at work or in school or at home and, and it is undone by one simple action and it brings a lot of anxiety and a lot of frustration. I think we've all experienced something good being undone by a rather small action or small error. I have a video that I want to share with you. I, I want to just, before I show it, I want to prepare you. It might be a hard, difficult, uh, a hard, difficult video to watch, but I think it really illustrates how um, one small action can undo a great amount of work. So let's just take a quick second and watch this video. Play clock at five. Pass. Oh. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Butler, a rookie free agent out of West Alabama. They try to pick play, Al. They tried to go here, but he beats them to the punch. And I'm sorry. But I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. You've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable in this part of the field. 
I can't believe the call. We're gonna we're gonna cut it off there. <laughs> Sorry, I, that probably went longer than it should have. Um, does it does that does that still sting anyone? I, I I remember I lost a couple nights of of sleep on that one. I, I closed my eyes and it was there. You know, talk about a well-executed season ended and ending by one single play. The whole season, like you think about it, and the Seahawks, they, they, did, they played so well that season. They made it to the Super Bowl, and yet what do we remember about that whole season? We remember that they didn't hand it off, right? That's the one thing that's going to stick in our mind. So we see uh, something that was good that was undone by the smallest error, the smallest mistake. Well, as we look and dig into Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we're going to see that the teacher unpacks more of life under the sun, and he shows us how folly can corrupt wisdom and reputation and everything that it has built. Folly can easily corrupt wisdom and reputation and everything good that is built up. So if you will, join me as we read uh, through Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting at verse 1. He says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite uh, him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through the sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter." Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you now and we have sung songs and praises to you of your goodness, of your love. And now we come before you and, and we are listening to you. 
We want to hear your word. And so, Father, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will will speak to us in a very clear way this morning. Help us to learn and to understand the ways of folly and the ways of wisdom and teach us exactly what we need to know to grow, to change, to be conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, chapter 10, talking about how a little folly can go a long, long way. A little folly goes a long way. But before we get started, it's, it's worth pointing out that at first glance, this, can, this, this passage can seem a little scattered. It can seem very unorganized. There's, there's a bunch of little thoughts, a verse here, a verse there, and how does it all fit together? And, and what we're going to see is that the, the writer here, um, he, he has put some common themes in here about folly. And we're going to put those together. Um, and so I will do my best to put these thoughts together, but you're going to notice that things aren't always in order. We're not going to go from verse 1 to 20. We will be bouncing around a little bit, um, largely because that's how this type of literature is written. It kind of touches on a point and comes over here and then goes back to this point and then it bounces down here and, and it can be very kind of mixed, you know, mix, feel mixed up kind of like life, right? But there are some themes that we are going to see about folly and wisdom. And before we go any further, it's important that we point out what or who we're talking about when we talk about the fool. Because we all have a lot of ideas of what a fool is or looks like. In fact, I'm pretty sure as soon as I said a fool, there was an image that popped into your mind, okay? All right, just take that out of your mind, all right? A fool does not have to do with IQ, but rather in in the biblical sense, Psalm 14.1 kind of sheds light on this, and it says that uh, he's a fool um, who, who lacks the proper fear of God. So, In the biblical sense, a fool is one who lacks the proper fear of God and therefore prone to the wrong direction in life and lacks moral character. So this is what you need to understand. That a fool has nothing to do with IQ. There are a lot of smart fools out there. Beware, you might be sitting next to one today. Okay? Foolishness has nothing to do with IQ, but rather an appropriate understanding of God and who he is and an appropriate application of the fear of God. So as we talk about the fool, keep that in mind. So now that we have that understanding, we can move on to see how folly goes a long, long way. And the first thing that, that um, the, the writer says here, the first thing that Solomon says is that folly corrupts Wisdom and reputation. Folly corrupts wisdom and reputation. In verse 1 he says, it can go a long way. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You might have heard the phrases before, uh, there's a fly in the ointment. Maybe you've heard there's, uh, that one bad apple ruins the bunch or ruins the barrel, ruins the bushel. There's a few different ways of saying it. But the idea is... It doesn't take a lot to ruin a lot. And so Solomon is saying here that foolishness can ruin a lot. 
It doesn't take a lot. And he goes on to say that the folly, it can go a long, long way, and foolishness, the foolish person chooses the wrong path. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, no offense to anyone here who is left-handed, okay? Both of my sons are left-handed. Cheryl and I still can't figure that one out. But in, in the Bible, typically when one talks about the right hand and the left hand, the right hand is associated with strength, with stability, with honor, whereas the left hand, eh, not so much. And so what he's saying is that the wise person chooses a path of strength and stability and wisdom, but the fool, eh, not so much. He chooses to go the other way the path of foolishness. There's two paths. The fool chooses the wrong one. And it's important to note here that there are two paths. We're often told today that we're all on the same path. We're all headed in the same direction. So as long as you stay in your lane on this big path, and as long as you don't hurt anyone else, you're, you're doing what everyone else is doing. And I'm here to say that is not the case. There are two distinct paths that we have to choose from. And finally, and this is actually good news, verse 3 tells us that a fool can be seen a mile away. That's, that's good, okay? He says, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is the fool. So here, if you can imagine, this man on the road is like, hey, everybody, how you doing? And people are laughing at him, but he thinks they're laughing with him. He has no idea, no concept that he is just emanating foolishness. And this is a good thing because typically it is rare that you come across a person where you're like, I knew them for 30 years and I never knew they were foolish. That doesn't happen. Typically foolishness shows itself right away, immediately. So here the author points out very quickly that folly corrupts wisdom and reputation. After the Koholith has told us that folly can corrupt wisdom and reputation, now he goes on to show us how it corrupts wisdom and reputation. So now we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to see, okay, we we understand that, that foolishness can ruin a lot of good things, but how does it ruin wisdom and reputation? And so here we see the first thing is that in verses uh, 5 and 6, is that folly first corrupts leaders. Folly corrupts leaders. I know, shocker, right? He says, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And, and what we have to understand here is there's a picture here. First, there's a picture of a horse. And again, the horse, anytime you see a horse riding through the streets um, in, in a city, it represents nobility. It represents power. It re- represents strength. And he's saying that, that when foolishness enters into leadership, When foolishness enters into authority, the world goes upside down. And he says the slaves are on the horses and those who ought to be ruling are walking on the ground. And things turn upside down. Few things can be as destructive as as amplified power of a foolish person. 
And I love the quote of uh, Martin Luther. He said, Just as dead flies ruin the best of ointment, so it happens to the best of counsel in the state, in the Senate, or in war, along comes some wicked rascal, and he ruins everything. And so we see here also that the, the, the writer gives us a little edge on how do we respond? How do we deal and speak to a foolish leader. In verse 4, he says, if, anger, if the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. When you're upset, being calm is easy, right? Not exactly. But he's telling us that a response to an angry or a foolish leader, the wise choice is to act calmly and carefully rather than angrily and hastily. And I would encourage you, if you if, to, to go back two weeks ago, Pastor Brian, um, he, he preached from Ecclesiastes 8, and he talked about the foolish leaders. And as believers, what is our response to that? And so I'd encourage you to look back to that. But we can, we'd be, do well to remember Proverbs 15.1, that a soft answer turns away wrath. So we also see under a foolish leader— that people suffer when the leader is immature. Verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince's feast in the morning. Again, foolish leaders, they do everything out of order. And when there's foolishness in leadership, people suffer. Perhaps a recent example of this was a time when there was a state governor who is caught dining at a rather fancy restaurant. Now, typically, this wouldn't be out of the norm. However, this governor in particular was caught dining at a party without a mask. Who cares, right? Except in this instance, it mattered greatly because do you know what this political leader was telling everyone to do? Wear a mask. Don't... Don't be out there. Stay put and wear a mask. And here this leader made the choice to go out and party without a mask. Now, this is foolishness. And what is the result of foolishness? Well, everything that he was trying to say, everything that he was working on was, was then undermined. And he couldn't speak into the issue, and it just created more chaos. And so we see that when foolishness enters into leadership, people suffer around it. So folly affects and corrupts leadership. However, as we go through this passage, we're going to see that Koholeth, he actually gives us glimpses of wisdom. Of, okay, so this is what folly does to leadership, but what would wisdom do? What would wisdom look like if it was applied to a leader, to authority? And here in verse 17, we get a glimpse of that wisdom. And he says, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. And so here, we get this glimpse, and we see that people experience strength and security under wise leadership. So wisdom applied to leadership brings strength and security to the people. But when folly is applied to leadership, it brings decay. So he goes on to say then, so folly corrupts leadership. Second, we see that folly corrupts work. 
Folly will corrupt our work. In verses 8 through 10, he gives this list of different trades, different jobs. There, he says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. Uh, the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. What's he after? What is he saying here about, about you know, splitting wood or, or, or uh, cutting stones or digging pits? What does this have to do with? He's saying, listen, every job that's out there has risk. All right? There's enough danger in your work as it is. You might accidentally fall and get hurt if you're digging the pit. You might accidentally cut yourself if you're splitting logs. There's a risk to it. Don't add foolishness. Well, how would we do that? What is he talking about? It didn't take me too long to find some pictures on the internet of people adding foolishness to their work. Would you like to see some? I thought so. So here, two guys are like, we really need to clean the windows, but we don't have a big enough ladder, so I got a good idea, right? I wonder how that ended. All right, and then we have another one. So a jackhammer. I mean, it's great, but what you might not notice is he doesn't have any shoes on, okay? All right, rule not 101 when you do construction is you count your digits, okay? He is not doing that. Here we have a welder. Now, I, I don't weld, so I don't know what is in those tanks, but I'm pretty sure it's explosive. And we have sparks just flinging right towards it. So that's probably not the best idea, all right? Uh, I think the next one's one of my favorites. A forklift lifting a forklift that has an object. So they're obviously having a hard time getting uh, whatever appliance it was to the top, so they used a forklift on a forklift. All right. This is, this is the kind of things that happen during women's retreat, by the way, all the time. <laughs> um, and then my, the, the last one, perhaps the scariest, working on a truck... And uh, we got some four-by-fours holding it up, but not supported by anything. All right, we're going to pretend that that ended well. So you get the idea, right? Work is dangerous enough as it is. You don't need to add foolishness to it. Now, for us, practically, what does that mean? Some of us here, we, we, we have jobs and we work, out, we work in construction. We work with our hands and we understand this very well. There's a reason that rules are in place so that other people around us don't get hurt. But foolishness can negatively um, affect the work around us. When a fool enters the workplace, they cut corners and everyone suffers. Everyone suffers when the fool enters the workplace. They might not do all the calculations they needed to. They might not do all the work up front. But in the end, it affects the team. It affects the business. It affects the, pro the, the whole progress. And so a fool will cut corners and they make what's already difficult not safe. And secondly, folly corrupts work because the work of a fool has little to show for it. In verse 15, it says, the toil of a, uh, of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city. So the fool gets tired of working when he's not working, is the idea here. He gets tired of working but never has anything to show for his work. It's, it's endless and he makes it needlessly difficult. 
There's this, there's a, at the end of the verse 15, it says, for he does not know the way into this city. And here's the idea. Now you might think, well, I get lost all the time. Okay, but when you're, in that context, when you're walking to the city, there's a main road and there's a lot of people walking to and from on that main road. And from a distance, you can see the, her, the, the city skyline, right? Like imagine seeing the city of Seattle. Okay, you could see the Space Needle. You could see the skyscrapers and not being able to get there. It's a little ridiculous, right? You're like, well, you just walk there. You just go there. The idea is, as one person said, the fool, this person, he could get lost on an escalator, okay? The fool is exhausted. He may, be, he may try to convince himself and others that he is working hard when, in fact, he is wearing himself out by hardly working at all. And so the work of a fool has little to show for it. And finally, we also see that the sloth who is foolish experiences decay in his work. Verse 18, through sloth, the, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. Okay, we have, we live in the Northwest. I thought this might help us understand what we're talking about here. Behind me is a roof, very typical of the Northwest, right? Like, you can see that. Now, when you drive by and you see that, now I purposefully made sure that wasn't in the Seattle area because I didn't want to get anyone here, Okay. But you know that's bad, right? It's bad because what will happen over time is that roof, that roof is going to decay. It's going to get leaks. And eventually the leaks are going to get under the shingles and you're going to have wood rot. You're going to have the structural integrity just completely go. And so not taking care of that leads to greater problems. And the, 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 the fool, the, who is not working hard all right, to, to make sure that he's on top of it, finds decay in all that he's doing. And so the problem is that the fool, that decay isn't just in work. The fool also allows that decay into their life. They allow that decay into their homes, into their relationships, into how they relate to other people. And so the fool is not on top of it, but rather they're slothful. So we need to make sure that we are staying on top of it because the fool will experience decay in work, which always leads to bigger problems down the road. However, we do see a glimpse of wisdom. What does wisdom applied to work look like? What does that look like. In verse, uh, verse 10, it says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And so when we apply wisdom to our work, we bring success. Just like the fool who, who cuts corners brings a demise to everyone around him in his workplace, the, the worker who applies wisdom to what he is doing and, and is thinking about it carefully and contemplates, they bring success to those around them. I came across this story of a, ma a manufacturing plant that uh, I, I thought was worthy to share. It goes like this. Due to the complexities in their manufacturing line, a popular toothpaste company would occasionally accidentally ship empty boxes to their customers. Not only did the boxes cost money to ship, but when the customers received the boxes, they would often complain. 
Ultimately, the toothpaste company began to lose customers who would seek out inventory for their stores from other more reliable suppliers. One day, the factory gathered their top managers and creative minds and told them they would need to focus their efforts on solving the empty box problem. After nearly six months and hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on research and ideation, the factory came up with what they thought was a fairly smart solution to their problem. They would add highly sensitive scales to the factory line. Any time an empty box would reach the scale, it would be weighed, uh, the line would stop, and a loud buzzer would sound, at which point a factory worker uh, would need to walk over and remove the empty box. Problem solved, right? Yet, the company quickly ran into another issue. Just a few months after rolling out the new scale system, there were no empty boxes being reported. The scales weren't encountering any empty boxes at all. So confused by the results, the factory manager traveled down to the factory from his city office to see what was going on. He noticed that by one of the supply lines, just a few feet before, uh, before one of the new scales, someone had placed an inexpensive desk fan. The manager noticed that as, a, as boxes rolled down the line, empty ones would merely be blown off the belt by the desk fan. When asked about the fan, an employer on the factory line standing nearby explained, Oh, that? We put it there when we got tired of hearing that buzzer thing. <laughs> and so here you have these people investing hundreds of thousands of dollars to solve a solution when a little wisdom applied up front could have saved them a lot. You see, when we apply wisdom to our work, it leads to success, not just to ourselves, but to those around us. And it's a blessing. So, we, we, uh, we see here that folly can corrupt our leaders, it can corrupt our work, well, folly also corrupts one more thing, our words. Folly corrupts our words. In verses 12 to 14, we see that folly corrupts our words and our foolish words consume us. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words, Though no man knows what uh, is to be, then who can tell him what will be after him? So the fool's words consume him. They eat him up because he feels like he just has to talk. One person said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. I like what Mark Twain said, it is better to keep your mouth shut and people think you a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. You see... Speaking with wisdom isn't just about saying wise things. Sometimes it's about not saying things at all. And so the fool consumes himself because his words bring him into it. And secondly, we see that, a fool, that foolish words, not only do they consume us, but foolish words assume in verse 14, it says, the foolish, uh, A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? And so, the fool's words are presumptuous. They're making boastful claims about things that they have no idea 
about. They're, they're constantly talking about the future and they neglect the present and the issues at hand. They often assume. And we all know what assuming does. Thirdly, foolish words travel. Now, I thought about saying zoom because they consume, assume, and zoom, but you get the point. Foolish words travel. Verse 20, even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. The folly of a single rash word can destroy a lot of good. And the best way for word not to get around is to not say it. The best way for words not to get around is to not say it. So there's, there is a common theme here as we look at the folly introduced to our words, how folly corrupts our words. There's a common theme. And that is if you don't want to have foolish words, don't say as much. Don't say as much. If you're regularly known for putting your foot in your mouth, then stop. Don't try to keep talking. Don't, don't keep going on, but rather, don't say it. I want to practice. I think we can practice this together. I want you to think about something that you really want to say, but you know you shouldn't, okay? Maybe you're sitting next to the person, and you're like, I know what I want to say, but I know what would happen if I did say it, all right? Well, we're going to practice something here, okay? So you have that in your mind? Okay. Now I want you to take a deep breath in, because you're about to say it. You ready? And don't say it. Did you do that? I didn't, you guys didn't do that. Deep breath in, and don't say it. You just practice, and you did it. The fool, know, or, or the wise person knows when not to say something. And there's so much wisdom in simply not saying it. Rarely have I heard people say, I am so glad I said that. And, but I've heard a lot of people say, I'm really glad I didn't say that. You can always say it later, but you can't take it back. Now, here's the beautiful thing. We also get a glimpse of wisdom when it's applied to our words. When wisdom is applied to our words, verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Now, there's a, another translation, a better translation, I think, that it, it says, the words of the wise man's mouth are gracious. And so the idea here is that wisdom, when it's applied to our words, it brings grace, which means it brings life to other people. It brings life to those around us. So when you are using wisdom with your words, there ought to be life around you, not destruction, not despair. And so wisdom, when applied to words, brings life to those around us. So, what does this mean? How do we conclude this? Well, verse 11 brings it all together. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. What in the world? Verse 11? Like, I mean, snakes. It had to be snakes, right? I couldn't resist. How does that tie wisdom together? And the idea is this. The snake charmer, as cool as they are and as amazing as their ability is to charm a snake, if they don't use that ability right away, what happens? They get bit. It's, they're done for good. Kaputs. 
So the idea here applied to wisdom is that if you know wisdom, if you have heard wisdom and you don't apply it, you are as good as gone as a snake charmer after he gets bitten. Apply the wisdom before it's too late. Apply the wisdom before it's too late. Because if you don't use wisdom, it will come back to bite you. So I would encourage you and challenge you that this chapter, while it talks a lot about folly and, and how, how much folly can corrupt, it's, it's actually motivating us to pursue the path of wisdom. And so up here, you see a picture, and there are two paths that we get to choose from this morning. There's a path of folly and a path of wisdom. The path of folly corrupts leaders, yet wisdom applied to leadership brings strength and security to those around it. Folly will corrupt our work, but wisdom applied brings success. Folly will corrupt our words, but when wisdom is applied to our words, it brings life to those around us. So I ask you, what path are you walking down today? What choices are you making? And uh, there's a pretty good chance that if you're not aware of what path you are on, you are likely on the path of folly. Because the path of wisdom requires intentionality and understanding. Are you causing foolish destruction and chaos around you because you're allowing folly to enter into your life? Which path are you walking down? The preacher isn't saying that because of folly there is not hope. Don't take that, don't take that away from this. He is saying there is a much better way and it is essential that we choose the path of wisdom. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning And as we hear your word, we understand that before us, constantly, are two paths that we have to decide between. The easy path, least resistance, a path of folly, of foolishness, of destruction and chaos, wherever we go. But Lord, you have made a way possible for us to hear from you to see wisdom and to apply wisdom to our lives. We can walk down a path that will actually bring life to those around us. And Father, we come here this morning and we are admitting that, that we can't walk on this path in and of our own strength, but that we need you. And so we, we pause to thank you for your son, to thank you for salvation to thank you for a new life in you that enables us to walk the path of wisdom. I pray for each heart in here this morning that we would learn from this passage to apply wisdom quickly. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.